Thanks, Steph. Well, I want to begin this morning with a little word association game, okay? You guys up for it? Okay, a little word association game. So this way it's going to work. I'm going to give you uh, a role or a position. And let me stop here just for a second. Let's thank our kids for serving us today. Uh, we had a lot of kids help to serve. Okay, kid was not the first word, so don't get any opinion, okay? Uh, but what, the way we're going to do this is, I want you to look to the person to your right. Go ahead, look at them right now. Say hi. Okay, be nice. Don't bite, kick, any of that stuff, okay? And I'm going to give you a role or a position, and what I want you to do is to share with that person who you think is the greatest in the world at that position. Okay? You got it? So I'm going to give you a position or a role, and then you're going to share to the person to the right of you uh, who you think is the best. So let's just do an example. For instance, if I gave you the word Bible teacher, you would turn to the person to the right and say, Chris Bunch. No, no. Okay, some people are saying my dad right now, and uh, he is better than me, but... Okay, let's go ahead, and uh, so you're going to look to the person to your right, and you're going to give your estimation who you think uh, is the best at that. Here's the first one. Uh, The word is actor. So turn to the person to your right, tell them, who do you think is the best actor? Okay, okay. I thought about that this week, and there's a picture of who I think is the best actor. Okay, Pee Wee Herman. Okay, here's the next one. Actress. Okay, who is the greatest actress that you know? Go ahead. Be quick. This isn't, you know, like big thinking here. Okay, next. NFL quarterback. Get Pee Wee off the screen. People are getting scared. Uh... NFL quarterback. Okay, singer. Okay, who is the greatest singer? Come on, look at each other. Talk to them. Now, uh, Stephanie, the person that was up here before, she told me who her favorite singer was. It will come up on the screen. To all the girls I've loved before, uh, there it is. Okay, next, author. Who is the greatest author of a book? Maybe some of you don't read, but... Okay, next, talk show host. Who is the greatest talk show host? Okay, next, ballet dancer. Okay, last one. Race car driver. Who is the greatest race car driver? Now, I did this with the staff this week, and it was kind of embarrassing, but this is who Derek picked. 
And you know how kids will, like, get their notebooks and put, you know, I love so-and-so? Like, all over his office this week, Derica, or Dan, Derica, Dan, <laughs> Danica and Derek, Danica and Derek. And it was quite embarrassing, to, go, to be quite honest. Uh, he's kind of infatuated with her, so we'll have to deal with that. Well, how'd you guys do? Did you, did you figure out one for every person? Okay. When ba- ballet dancer came, I know some of the men were like, belly dancer? Uh, I, you know, her name was Judy. Uh, you know, I don't know. Um, okay. Now, what I'd like to do now is on uh, the other side of this, I want to pose a question. And that is, how do you suppose these people became the world's best at whatever their respected field is. Now, for some of them, it's their DNA. They can run faster. It's all a part of that. Some of it's just raw talent. Uh, Some of it is maybe they just got lucky. You know, a singer got a break and got lucky. But if there was one explanation for all of these people of who was the greatest author, who was the greatest singer, who was the greatest NFL quarterback, It would all come down to one thing, and that one thing is what? Practice. Practice. Folks, we become what we practice. You become what you practice. If you practice golf each day for four hours, you're eventually going to become a better golfer. If you uh, practice, you know, cooking an hour a day, eventually you're going to be a pretty good chef. But the greatest skill that you can practice to reach your God-given potential that God has for you is to practice the presence of God. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. How can you learn to practice the presence of God? Now, the first way that we learn to practice the presence of God is that we corral our thoughts. You have to corral your thoughts. A guy in the Bible by the name of David, who was uh, the greatest king in the Old Testament, uh, kind of penned these words. He said, May the words of my mouth and the meditation, in other words, the thoughts of my heart, be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And then later on in life, he goes back to this and he, he echoes this when he writes these words. In Psalm 104, he says, May my meditation, in other words, my thoughts, be pleasing to Him as I rejoice in the Lord. These are words that we would all be wise to learn. Because the truth is, folks, whatever is sown in your heart eventually is reaped in the future. So whatever those unspoken thoughts are that are in your heart, Eventually, they wind up determining your activities. Our thoughts, the things that go between our ears, determine our actions. It's so true, folks. Whatever you and I think has bearing on who we are today and, more importantly, on what we become tomorrow. So the question becomes, what are we to think about? When it comes down to you and me, what are you to think about? What am I to think about? 
Well, Paul, a guy who wrote over half of the New Testament and is considered Jesus' closest follower, um, wrote these words. And this verse right here is worth the price of admission this morning for your thought life. He writes in uh, Philippians 4, 8, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, the first thing uh, that he turns to, he says, whatever is true. And if you would, I'd like you to circle the word true that's in your program. It'll help you to remember this week uh, what to focus on. So circle that word true. Now, I wonder, uh, are your thoughts that you think about yourself, are they true? I mean, a lot of us think things about ourselves that are not true. So what I want to do today is I want to give you some truth nuggets. A few uh, truths that are true about you if you are a person who has turned to Jesus as the Lord of your life. First of all, the truth nugget is you are chosen. You're chosen. You are an adopted child. You're accepted. You're forgiven. You are free from condemnation. The next list there. You are God's masterpiece. You are safe in God's firm grip. You are able to withstand any temptation that comes your way. You are promised eternal life with God. And you are loved no matter what. No matter what, you are loved. So are your present thoughts, folks, the things that you think about, are those in the mix? Is that what you think about yourself? Because typically what I find is that people don't think that about themselves, but they give in to lies. They give in to lies that come from the evil one, Satan himself, who longs to kill, steal, and destroy the thoughts that come into our, into our minds. These are some of the lies that we often turn to. Nobody wants me. Nobody loves me. I'm all alone. I'm worthless. I'll never be free from that sin. And folks, Jesus' Jesus's whole purpose on coming to planet Earth, when He chose to leave heaven, to come down and to be with us in our presence, it was that He wanted to give you truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, in life, he said, I am truth, but I want to show you that not only am I truth, but I'm going to give you truth to think about yourselves. And some of you have fallen into lies. And folks, to practice God's presence, if you want to bear a lot of fruit in your life, you must corral your thoughts and you must think about what is true about yourself. The second word in this whole uh, kind of litany of words that Paul gives that you can circle is the word noble. The word noble. Now, some of you guys, when you hear the word noble, the only thing you think about is pizza. <laughs> noble Romans pizza. You know, it was a sad day when that chain kind of uh, went away. 
But the word noble actually means something very different than pizza or, or something that we just see as a, uh, uh, you know, an old uh, 15th century kind of soldier who was noble. But noble means to have a dignity and to be worthy of respect. You're dignified and you're worth respect. I just wonder this morning, are your thoughts respectful? Are they considerate? Are they noble? Now here's the way that you can tell whether they're noble or not. If your thoughts tend to center on that next morsel of juicy gossip that is in the workplace, if you lustfully look at women, if you put others down instead of building them up, you're not quite passing the noble test. If your thoughts focus on your next drink, your next hit, your next online porn session, they're not quite passing the noble test. Folks, you are called to be noble. God says, I'm head over heels in love with you, but I want you to be noble, to have noble thoughts. And you're called to be an example of nobility to the people around you. And guess where noble character begins? Where do you think it begins? Between your ears. It's in your thoughts. It's what you think. Here's the third thing that Paul says you are to focus on, and that is whatever is right. And you can circle that word right. Now, how can you tell if something is right or not? And that word also actually means wisdom. So how can you know when something is wise or not? Any of you ever have this experience before where uh, you wake up some morning and you know you have to make a decision that day? And you want to do the right thing. Everything within your heart wants to do the right thing. And you want to do whatever it is that God wants you to do. The only thing is, you just don't know what to do. Well, this next verse tells you. It's in James chapter 1, verse 5, and it says this. If you want to know what God wants you to do, ask Him, and He will gladly tell you. For He is always ready to give bountiful supply of wisdom to all who ask Him. In other words, folks, God loves to help. All you have to do is ask Him. The problem is, is that for many of us, we wait to ask when we've tried to do it all on our own, rather than asking at the very beginning step. So today, if you're perplexed with something in your life, and you don't know which choice to choose, but you want to choose the right one, but you're not sure which one is right or which one is wrong, ask your Heavenly Father, and He will tell you what is right. Ask Him to point out some wisdom. He'll do it. In fact, that Scripture says what? He does it joyfully. It's like God is sitting there waiting. I'm waiting for you to say something so that I can give you the right answer. And why does He do that? Because He loves you. He's head over hills in love with you. Let's look at the next uh, word there. It's the word pure. You can circle that word, the word pure. 
Purity is living the life that God originally intended you to live. Free from artificial flavors, artificial additives, just to live the life that God's called you to live. Now here's the deal with purity. If your thoughts are pure, if you focus on what is clean and undefiled, as a result, your actions will be what? Wow, that didn't sound very good. You're, uh, so like if your thoughts, maybe that's because many times they're not, um, but if your thoughts are pure, then your actions should be what? Pure. In your relationships, you will tell the truth. You will look to serve other people's interests rather than your own. You will be obedient to people who have authority over you. You'll be a loving person. For those of you in school, you will refuse to cheat on test. In your jobs, if you have a trained, pure mind, you will speak in affirming ways of people when they walk into the workplace. You will work diligently and not be lazy. You will do your best, not just kind of float through the day. Sexually, you'll treat people with the utmost respect. You will live according to God's design. You will keep sex within the boundaries of marriage. And spiritually, you will live free. You will have freedom in your life. Now let me offer some encouragement to you if for some reason, every once in a while, purity kind of goes out the window, because it does in my life. Here's some things to think about. A surefire way to make sure that pure thoughts are coming through your mind is to simply prioritize your life in which you put other people's needs and thoughts above your own. Before you tell the lie to cover your rear end, think about how it's going to affect the person that you lie about. Before you cheat on the test at school, consider how the decision that you make will affect your parents when they find out. And they always find out. That was one thing I found as a kid. My parents always knew more than I did. Before you sneak a peek at some uh, provocative website, think about what those images does to your relationship with your spouse or what it does to yourself. And this is the thing that helped me when I was struggling with an area of that in my early 20s with pornography. A guy came up to me and he said, you know what, every time that you look at porn, you're looking at someone's daughter or someone's son. And all of a sudden, when that hit me, my thought changed. And I don't do that anymore. I can honestly say it's not a part of my life because it's not a pure thought. Before you spread secrets about colleagues at work, think about that decision and how it will affect that person's life. Before you convince your boyfriend or girlfriend to sleep with you as a way of proving their love to you, think about that huge decision and how it will affect one day the person that you marry or your soul right then in that present moment. You see, folks, the list could go on and on and on, When you focus your attention on caring for other people, though, when you do that and you make that your priority, you will cultivate purity of thought. Here's the next category. Paul says, think on what is lovely, 
whatever is lovely. You can circle that word lovely. We are to think on things that are lovely. Now, it's interesting that the original Greek word here, uh, lovely, does not mean like beauty. Oh, they're hot, you know. Or I have lovely things. What it actually means is to promote peace instead of conflict. Lovely people promote peace instead of conflict. Now, this week I was talking to a friend of mine, and he and his mom had gone through two years of not speaking to each other. Things were said on both sides, and he tried to attempt to call her, but she wouldn't take his call. He sent letters. She never responded. He sent birthday gifts. Never responded. Uh, he eventually got married, and she didn't come to the wedding. He uh, had a miscarriage with his wife. She knew about it, and she never responded. Well, last week, he learned that uh, his mom's uh, boyfriend, who had been a boyfriend for many, many years, had died. And he decided that he would call, and he would share his kind of condolences to her. Her tone was short and curt, but this guy worked for peace instead of conflict. And he said, you know what? I want to focus on lovely things. And he said, so I'd like to come if, if that's okay. And, and she said, that's fine. Now, he could have went off on the phone. He could have said, you didn't come to our wedding. He could have said, you knew that we had gone through a miscarriage and the pain that we had experienced, but you didn't do that. No, 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 no. He said, I'm going to higher ground. I'm focusing on lovely thoughts. I'm going to promote peace instead of conflict. And so he went. He uh, stayed at his mom's house for the first time that he'd been there in two years with his wife. Went to the funeral. Did all of those things. And all of a sudden, you see that he reconciled the relationship. Why? Because his thoughts were lovely. How about you? Do you promote that kind of peace in your family, in your relationships? Or do you cause division and dissension and discord? Are you constantly thinking, how can I build a bridge with that person? Or do you find your thoughts kind of drifting off to selfish things? Do you think more about working for other people to understand you? Or do you work to try to understand where they're at? Lovely thoughts, folks. That's what God says to focus on. Not thoughts of apathy or bitterness or revenge, but thoughts that are peace and harmony and love. Here's the final word in that, and then you can circle it. It's the word admirable. You are to think on those things which are admirable. In other words, this word admirable means that you are to think on things that are positive, that are constructive, that are life-giving. These are the things that we should think on. Have you ever been around negative Nancy or negative Ned before? I mean, people, when you just walk by, it's like this cloud of negativity that is all around them. Now, hopefully you're not sitting by that person right now, okay? So if you are, don't look. See, some of you are looking. Don't look. Stay up here, okay? But you know those people. You get around them, and pretty soon they're like, 
my life is terrible, my husband's worthless, my wife's worthless, my family's terrible, I hate my job, I hate my house, I hate my car, I hate my neighborhood, my kids are out of control, my dog drives me nuts, my pastor is boring. You know, whenever I'm around people like that, and you would be surprised, I'm around more of those people than you think. I can't help but wonder, what are their thoughts like? They must be the most depressed people in the world. I mean, just everything. You just, negative. And folks, if you're a follower of Christ, you are called to be a conduit of encouragement. You were called to think on admirable things, positive things, glasses always half full. Things that build others up, not tear them down. And simply put, folks, it is not godly to be negative all the time. I mean, all of us are going to have a negative moment. We're going to have negative days, but you don't have to spew it out on everyone else because they don't want to hear it anyway. The key to living a healthy, godly life is to corral your thoughts. And what does he say? The way you corral your thoughts is you think about whatever is noble, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. These things think on. Here's the second way that you can practice the presence of God, and it's by communicating with Him. That you simply communicate with Him. There was a recent uh, Gallup poll that came out in which 90% of all Americans say that they communicate with God. Do you know how they do that? Prayer. They said, we pray. In fact, prayer can be defined this way. Communicating with God involving both sharing and listening. You see, prayer is a two-way street. It's a conversation. It's communication. But if we are honest, prayer sometimes can feel kind of strange. Because, I mean, you're praying to someone that you can't see. You're praying to someone that is different than anyone else you've ever known. And to someone who challenges you, convicts you of things that no one else does. Now, the problem is when you talk about communicating with God, when you talk about prayer, people often feel guilty at this point. Because you can feel guilty about prayer if you're not careful. I mean, how many of you, you know, woke up this morning and you left the house and you're like, oh man, I just spent so much time in prayer this morning. I mean, two hours was just a little much. I'm going to have to crank that back a little bit. Woo! I am prayed out, you know? So I don't want you to be discouraged, but what I want you to get in this point is what are some things that I can add to communicating with my relationship with God? Now, I'd like to begin by sharing with you what I know about prayer, what Chris Bunch knows about prayer. First of all, this is what I know about prayer. Prayer is difficult. Prayer is difficult. You know, there are dozens of scriptures that start out like this. To you, O Lord. 
I offer my prayer. In fact, many times, I'll begin my prayer. I'll, I'll be like that. I'll say, to you, God, you know, I'm offering this prayer to you. And then five seconds later, I got nothing. You know what I mean? Absolutely nothing to say. I mean, it seems like each time that I sit down to pray, when I get real quietly, real quiet, immediately, uh, thoughts uh, come flying into my head. I have to go see this person. I have to go call that person. I have to pay this bill. I have to uh, go to this meeting. I have to go to the YMCA. I have to take Jordan somewhere. Where do I have to take Jordan? Is she in the car? She is in the car. I need to take her to go get her shots on Monday. That's what it is. And da, 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 da. And you sit down and you get ready to pray. And all of a sudden, all of these thoughts like flash into your head all at once. My ADD kicks in. And it becomes very difficult to talk and listen to the person that I can't see and the person who is very different than who I am. But the more I talk to people about prayer, I am realizing more and more that it is difficult, folks, for all of us. That it really is, because we're all just beginners, including myself. And so to kind of give you an example of uh, how difficult prayer can be, I'd like you to watch a clip real quick of a movie uh, like clip from Grace? Meet the Parents. Oh, uh, well, uh, Greg's Jewish dad. You know that. You're telling me Jews don't pray, honey? Unless you have some objection. No, 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 no. No, I'd love to. Pam, come on. It's not like I'm a rabbi or something. <laughs> I said Grace and many a dinner table. Dear God, thank you. You are such a good God to us, a, a kind and gentle and accommodating God. And we thank you, O oh sweet, sweet Lord of hosts, for the smorgasbord you have so aptly laying at our table this day and each day by day day by day by day oh dear lord three things we pray to love thee more dearly to see thee more clearly to follow thee more nearly Day by day. By day. Amen. Amen. Oh, Greg, that was lovely. Thank you, Greg. That was interesting, too. Now, that is a hilarious clip on prayer. But it just shows you how difficult of a struggle it is for people to communicate with God. But the reality is, folks that we struggle with prayer, all of us do, because prayer can be difficult sometimes. The second thing that I know about prayer is that it gets confusing sometimes. It confuses me. Now, all of you know what the number one prayer in the world is, right? Help! Right? 
That's the number one prayer. The Bible puts it this way. All I want is an answer to one prayer. And all of us have bargained with God in prayer before, haven't we? If you will just do this one thing for me, I promise I will never cuss, I will stop smoking, I will stop drinking, I will stop doing anything. And I'll start doing things, God. Like I'll start, you know, going to church every single Sunday. I'll go to that small group even though I'm scared to death. And uh, I'll make my bed every single morning, you know, and on and on and on and on. And we have that tendency. But this is the reality, folks. God wants to be more than just a vending machine God. A vending machine God is that you put something in and you just want something back. And he says, I don't mind giving you good things, but really what I want is I want a relationship. I want to connect with you. I want a relationship with you. And the problem is, is that you and I make communicating with God far too confusing. I mean, do I pray with my eyes closed or do I pray with my eyes open? Do I pray with my head bowed or do I pray with my head straight up in the air? Do I pray on my knees or do I pray standing? Do I sign off by saying amen or amen? Do I say in the name of Jesus or do I say 10-4 good buddy? You know? I mean, pretty soon you just have all this stuff and you're trying to pray and you're like, I don't know how many... Our Father's is enough. And do we pray to Jesus or our Heavenly Father or the Holy Spirit? I mean, prayer can be confusing. Prayer can be difficult. But folks, the whole point of prayer is this, that prayer is to be a friendship. God really wants to communicate with you as a friend. A conversation between two friends. But the issue is, is that for many of us, if we're really dead honest at the darkest place or at the, at the deepest place in our lives, at that deep place, when it comes to prayer, what we would say is this. We would say, I don't think God wants to be my friend. He knows all the mistakes that I've made. We don't think we're good enough. We don't think we're worthy enough to actually hear the whisper from God. In fact, this past week I got an email from someone that I've been dying to share with you. And so I really want you to listen to this. This is how it goes. Hey Chris, I just had to share something. So I try to be a good Christian person and have a big loving heart But when it comes down to truly trusting God to come through for me, I somehow struggle. I think it might be a control issue I have. Ha ha. But anyway, when we started this whole Power of the Whisper campaign, I couldn't help but think, well, God may whisper to some people, but He's not going to whisper to me. He doesn't have time to whisper to me. Or I'm just not the kind of person who would hear it. And the letter went on and on and on to discuss the fact that she just didn't feel 
connected whatsoever. And so uh, she said, I was thinking, I'll ask for a whisper from God, but I'm not sure that he'll actually do it. And then she said, I was fearful because I'm juggling so many things in my life already. If he added just one more thing to me, how could I fulfill it? Could I even handle it? And so she said, last week on a Thursday at 3 a.m. in the morning, I decided to give it a chance. I woke up out of sleep and I was just thinking and I thought, okay, God, I guess this is as good a time as any. And so she went ahead and she said, uh, I'll go ahead and ask. She said, I really didn't want to ask because I was fearful he was going to ask me to do something. And so I went ahead and I said, God, if you want to whisper to me, go ahead. She said, immediately then, all these thoughts came to my mind. Things like what I was supposed to do. And then I began to start worrying. What if he really whispers and asks me to do something really, really big? And she said, then all of a sudden, I felt this perfect peace and this calm. And I heard this sense, and she said, it said, I just wanted to tell you, I love you. I love you. She said, I had been resisting listening to God or hearing a whisper from Him because I thought He was going to actually ask me to do something, and all He wanted to do was say, I love you. She writes, that was so cool to think that the whole time I thought he was going to ask me to do something and all he wanted to do was tell me that he loves me. This next scripture verse I'd like us to read together. God is my helper. He is a friend of mine. Let's read it again. God is my helper. He is a friend of mine. Folks, God really does want to be your friend. Your best friend. He wants to talk to you daily. He wants to say to you, to whisper in your ear if you'll be quiet enough, I love you. You're my friend. Listen to my whispers. In fact, when it comes to prayer, when it comes to communicating with God, the Bible says this, pray in the Spirit on all occasions and on all kinds of prayers and requests. In other words, God says, invite me in. If you'll invite me into every moment and every thought and every day of your life, regardless of the circumstances, I will be there. So let me ask you this morning, how often do you invite God into the situations you face? When you suffer a meaningful loss, do you say, Jesus, enter into my pain? When you butt heads with someone in your family, do you say, Jesus, show me where I'm wrong at in this relationship? When you fall prey to that same sin that you've committed over and over and over again for years and years, do you say, Jesus, please forgive me and show me a way out? Folks, God stands ready to whisper into every circumstance of your life. If only you will practice being conscious of Him because He is constantly conscious of you. Just saying, God, I know You're my friend. I want to hear from You. Whisper to me. Here's the last thing. 
The way you practice the presence of God is you conform to his word. You conform to his word. Now, the reality is, folks, you cannot conform to his word unless you know it. Because the only way that you are guaranteed that God will always speak to you is when you open this book. He guarantees, and this is not a book to beat you down or make it confusing. It's a love letter from God to you. And he says, if you'll just start reading about my son Jesus, and a great place to start is in the Gospel of Mark. Look in the front. That's what I had to do when I first started reading the Bible. Find the table of contents that says Mark and just start reading it. And he says, when you engage yourself with the Bible, what happens is you increase your odds of hearing from God. I mean, if you want to hear from God in your, about relationships, or about communication, or about managing your money, all of those things are right here in this book. This book will not fail you because these are words from God given to you. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to close by giving you some categories and a scripture verse that you can take home with you uh, this week to be able to be strengthened by it. Now the first category we want to look at is if we want to know something is salvation. The most important thing. Now that word is a big word and it gets very confusing. So let me help you. The word salvation means to be made complete or whole. How many of you have ever put together a puzzle before? In your life. Ever. Any kind of puzzle. Now, if you do one of those big 1,000 or 1,500 piece, you get down to the end, and what inevitably happens? You're missing a piece. And people get mad. Who didn't put the puzzle back in? Rah, rah, rah. You know? And then you think, whatever is lovely, whatever is kind, you know, then you think on those things. But this is the reality of salvation. You see, it's like a puzzle. And the reality is most of us go through our entire lives trying to put together all the pieces of the puzzle of our life together, but there is one piece that you have no control over. You have to freely say, God, I want Jesus in my life so that he can make me complete. And the best verse that I know on this concept of salvation comes from Romans 10:13. I've memorized it because when people ask me, hey, you know, why do you mean it about God? How can I have a relationship? It says this, everyone... Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, what's the prerequisite to salvation from this verse? Call. (laughs) He says all you got to do is call on the name of the Lord. You don't have to be baptized. You don't have to know 50 million verses. You don't have to go to church every day. You don't have to, you know, whatever it is. It says simply call. That's the prerequisite. Because salvation is all based upon God's mercy who comes from heaven down to earth and places His salvation into the puzzle of your life and says you are made complete, you are made whole, and now all of a sudden the picture is complete in your life because I'm present. And who can receive this? What's it say? Everyone. Everyone. Here's the second category. Fear. Fear. God's word says this, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. It seems very simple, doesn't it? God simply says, don't fear. Don't be fearful about anything. But we have fears about everything, don't we? Fears about our kids. Fears about 
if we're going to have enough money at the end of the month, fear about if we're going to keep our job, fear about whether or not we're going to have the right friendships, fear about our health, fear about dying. And to all of these fears, God says, do not fear. He whispers over and over again. He says, I'm telling you, do not fear. And there are tons of scriptures that that's simply what it says. Don't fear. And let me just say this, folks. God doesn't blow smoke. Your friends blow smoke. Your spouse might. Other people. God doesn't. And he says, I want you to live a fear-free life. And he talks about this verse right here. What's it say? He says, don't be afraid. Why? Because I am with you. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you by your right hand. And so, all of a sudden, you can just not be afraid. Because God is with me. He strengthens me. He helps me. Here's the next category, temptation. The verse uh, is from Jesus' brother. Jesus had a brother named James. And in chapter 4, verse 7 of James, he says this. When it comes to temptation, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Anyone here ever faced a little temptation before? I mean, just like, you know, you put your little toe into the water of sin. Not the whole thing, you know, because you're a good Christian person. But you just kind of put your little toe, you know, in there a little bit. And this little verse, folks, is something that you should carry with you. I carried it with me last week. My wife Jennifer and I went to this marriage conference. It was a great conference. We went with eight other couples in the church. Had a great time. Uh, but everything looked wonderful from the outside. The bunches looked like this wonderful, loving, married couple. We were holding hands. Everything's good. We get to our hotel room, and it's like Fort Knox, man. You know, just all this. And it is padded down, and we are going at it with each other. But everything, you know, we walk out the door. Hey, how are you? I'm Pastor Bunch. Good to meet you. Hey, this is my wife, Jennifer. But she's a doctor. Oh, wonderful. How are you doing? Not that any of you ever do that, you know. But the temptation always is to make sure that your, your relationship is great when you're at events with other people. And it's a godly church thing, you know. And so we're just going at it. And we did not connect at all during this whole marriage conference. There are people from our church that are holding hands. We're like, ugh. And finally, we get ready to leave. And this scripture right here, temptation, folks, to where I could just stay this way for the whole rest of the time. We get in the car. We leave. We stop at a gas station at a convenience store. And all of a sudden, Jennifer and I are in the convenience store together. We're on opposite sides of the store now. But we're in there together. And no one's around. And I walked up. And all of a sudden, I remember, submit yourself to God then. Resist the devil and he will flee. And I walked up to Jennifer and I said, hey, I'm sorry. I said, I'm an idiot. She goes, I know. (laughs) And I said, you know what? We didn't get much out of any of this, but we heard all this stuff. Let's live it the rest of the way home. And she's like, yeah, let's do that. And for this whole week, folks, Philippians 4.8, I can tell you, it's been practiced in our home. We've thought of things that are noble and kind and true and loving for other folks. Here's the last thing. Peace. Peace. This week, you're going to need this verse that I'm going to give you. Because 
you're going to need God's peace. Something's going to happen to you. Someone's going to say something to you. Somehow things are going to happen to you. And you're going to need God's peace. And this scripture is a scripture that I've turned to time and time and time again when I need God's peace. And it says this, And God's peace, which is far beyond our human understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds in union with Christ Jesus. Folks, when I start feeling anxious, when I feel overwhelmed, this is the verse that I come to. God's peace, which is far beyond our human understanding, will keep your hearts and minds safe in union with Christ Jesus. Here's the challenge. Everything that you've learned up to this week, actually, uh, up to this point, absolutely means nothing unless you fulfill this challenge. And this is the challenge. You ready for it? Some of you men ready for it? Here it is. It's the 10-minute challenge. It's very, very easy. All I want you to do this week is take 10 minutes each day and this little outline, even if you didn't fill anything in, you didn't have to, but there are 11 Scripture verses that are here. All I want you to do is pick seven. Starting tomorrow, you pick out your 10 minutes wherever it's at. Hopefully it's somewhat quiet. Lock the kids up in the garage if you have to, you know. Take this out and take one Scripture verse and read it. You don't have to read all of them. Just take one. One verse. And I want you to conform to the reading of that. Then secondly, I want you to communicate with God. I want you to take some time and you just share whatever is on your mind and your heart. Just share it to Him. And then whenever you're done with that, then you simply say something like this. You say, God, I know you're a friend. So whisper the most important thing you want, me, want to tell me today, and I will do my best to obey. God, you whisper the most important thing you want me to do today. Just tell me what that is, and I'll do it. And then finally, corral your thoughts. Get your thoughts together, and when you go out from that day, if you do it in the morning or at the end of the day, just before the morning begins the next day, you just take that Scripture verse, Philippians 4 eight, and you say, God, today, corral my thoughts. I want to think about whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. Ready to do it this week? Let's stand for closing prayer. God, we thank you for uh, messages that sometimes... Uh, Inspire us, encourage us, help us uh, have an emotional moment. But every once in a while, God, we just need a message that's going to challenge us. That someone stands up and says, hey, are you going to go for it? And God, I can't think of anything to go for more than practicing your presence. And so God, this week, I pray for each person in this place that they would take their teaching outline, not throw it away, not leave it in the car, not whatever, but, but take it somewhere to where they, they will have it every single day. And that they'd pull aside ten, moment, ten minutes where they would just read one of these verses. And God, if we miss a day, and some of us might, 
Would you gently remind us right now through the power of your Holy Spirit, we want reminders this week. We have to put it on our cell phone, our, our computer, on the calendar, whatever. Remind us to spend some time with you. Thank you for being our friend. Thank you for loving us no matter what. Help our thoughts this week to communicate your thoughts. And help us to conform to your words, God, that we'll read this week. Lord, we want to honor you in all things. Help us to fulfill this challenge. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Prayer team, come on up. And if you'd like prayer for anything, they're here. Have a great week. And uh, know you're loved in this place. i